Hey everybody, welcome to the Build in Public podcast. I'm your host, KP, and on this show, I interview world-class entrepreneurs, ambitious startup founders, creators, and builders on the internet who are boldly building the future in public. This podcast is my excuse to take you all on a curious journey to understand, learn, and hopefully be inspired by the worldviews, insights, and stories of these fabulous people changing the world. So far, I've gotten the rare privilege to sit down with incredible guests like Gary Vee, Alexis Ohanian, Kat Cole, Sahil Levingia, and many more leaders. So check out the full podcast listing at buildingpublicpodcast.com. Now buckle up and get ready for our latest episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Building Public Podcast. I'm your host, KP. And today I am stoked to have Lloyd Lobo joining us from Dubai. Welcome to the show, Lloyd. Thanks for hosting me from Dubai very recently. <laughs> we were just chatting about the Dubai tech scene and, you know, he was sharing some of his observations. Actually, maybe that's a good segue. What are you having been in SF, having been in a couple mega hubs and also in Vancouver? Now you're a, you know, Dubai resident or at least, a, you know, you're going to be in Dubai for a little while. What's your take on the Dubai tech scene? Dubai is a great tech scene, but you know, the what they say, right, is if you want to make movies, go to Hollywood. If you want to be in startups, go to Silicon Valley. There's still that Silicon Valley, San Francisco vibe. And um, I moved to San Francisco maybe in 2011. So, yeah, 2011. And it's been great. Was there 12 years. And it was a good experience for us. We still have our home there. And summers nice. are going to be spent there. But I, you know, sometimes you want a change of environment and happenstance. I was born in Kuwait. My wife was born in Kuwait. We were refugees of the Gulf War. We have a lot of friends here. We've been coming to Dubai a lot. And we spent a month last year in Dubai in April and we loved it. I think, you know, the, the thing about Dubai is it's a land of convenience, right? Mm. Everything from your doctor to your gasoline comes home and it's affordable in the sense like it's that service is available to all. And mm. the whole concept of, you know, commuting an hour or two back and forth or like doing chores is not a thing. Everything is literally done for you. And so when you when you have that happen, you get an extra three, four hours a day. And if you had an extra three, four hours a day, what could you do with your time? You would work out, you would socialize more, you would travel more, that sort of thing. Sundays are not spent doing chores for the rest of the week. Sundays are Sundays. You enjoy it through and through. And I see people socialize here every day of the week. It's a very community vibe, which is my jam, like my whole DNA is about a community. I mean, my parents grew up in the slums of Mumbai and uh, mm. I was a refugee of the Gulf War. And when we bootstrapped the company to 10 million ARR, it was all community led. And so for me, this mm. I crave connection and, and bringing people together. So it's a good vibe. From a tech scene, it's a nascent but growing tech scene, of course, right? Good quality people. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people who are not from here, like entrepreneurs from Europe and other parts of the world mm -hmm. moving here. So I think from a MENA perspective, Middle East, North Africa, Dubai is becoming the hub or has the potential to be like a Singapore. Mm -hmm. The thing is that the lifestyle is very good here, right? So like if you're a founder and then you also have kids, for example, mm -hmm. you know, you got to pick and drop the kids. You know, you got to <laughs> do everything for them. Then, you know, yeah. you got to do chores and you got to make meals and Sunday is grocery shopping and all of this stuff, right? You have just enough energy left to after your business and looking after the family to maybe have one nice dinner a week. When you're in Dubai, though, think about it, like help and services are designed into the lifestyle here. Mm. So you can really focus on your business and then the rest of the time socialize, right? right. And so that's what, I, that's what I love it. You know, all my life I chased success looking for happiness. I, when success came, I finally realized that, you know, success is nothing but freedom. If you get yeah. money and you're still stuck in the rut, it's no good if you, right. unless you use the money to buy freedom. And for me, Dubai gives you a lot of free time in your day. Yeah. You know, one theme you touched on earlier, which is um, the phrase community-led, you know, being part of community-centric, I think. I've seen, you know, I was as I was going through your bio and background, I feel like that was sort of like the overarching theme in the last 15 years of your career. So my question, I guess, going back to the early days of when you first had um, an epiphany around community, you know, when was the first time you really realized the power of community, number one? Number two is, when did you think that you could be a community builder of some sorts. 
You know, the first time I experienced the power of community is as a very young kid. My mom grew up in the slums of Mumbai, okay? And she had nine other siblings and they lived in this, I don't even know how to frame it, like what, what the word is, but this thing, which is like really small, four walls, maybe made out of very rough concrete with like aluminum, uh, roofing. Alum yeah. aluminum roofing. Yeah. And every summer I was born in Kuwait. So every summer we'd go visit the grandparents and I, and I loved hanging out there. Because mm -hmm. it was like slum, you know, like if you watch Slumdog Millionaires, you're like slum, 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 right? Right. And it was a community, people helping each other, mm -hmm. people playing together. Like we would like, man, I would go and, you know, monsoon time, right? In India in mm -hmm. the summers, play in the gutter, like, you know, the rain <laughs> would create this over flooding and create these artificial pools and jump and come out dirty. Puddles, yeah. puddles like this, those puddles would turn into like actually ponds, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then... Everywhere in that slum area, there is a few things. There is like what they call a tabela, which is like a cow shed, right? Where, where cows, like, you know, there's cattle there and you go and pull fresh milk. So I'd go with my grandparents or my uncles and aunts who were very young at the time and bring the milk. One day I brought the freaking calf home and, <laughs> and the, and the guy let me bring it home because I was crying and I tied it right. to a small pole in their house, which was so small. So every summer I'd go visit. It was a community. I'd make friends, we'd hang out, we'd run around, we'd watch TV together because usually what happens is so poor, maybe one or two houses had a TV. Yeah. So then everybody would huddle around it. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so watching TV was a community thing in the evenings <laughs> when they'd play like a movie would come on or, or cable or whatever. So it was a community thing and people who couldn't watch from the house would watch from outside, you know, the windows, the railings. <laughs> yes. It was such a community thing, playing games, eating, sharing food with each other. They had almost nothing, but they would share so much. And every time I would visit India in the summer, it was the best time I'd had in my life. Imagine being in the slum, right? And I'd ask my grandparents that, why do you have random people in your house? And they would always say, and my mom and, and my dad would always say like, the only way to create abundance in your life is to help others without expecting anything in return. The people you help will mm -hmm. never do anything for you, but the karma will come back in ways you can't even imagine. And today, if you see all of those 10 siblings they're, them and their kids are all well off. They're not in that slum, obviously. Mm -hmm. But people have moved on to different cities and buildings. And maybe that same community vibe is in there, the love, you know? And so mm -hmm. that was my first experience with community, like playing these games as a kid with, you know, people being in, in and out of people's houses without like any hesitation, everyone <laughs> helping each other, coming together, celebrating Christmas, Eid and Diwali together, all the mm -hmm. festivals. It, it, was, it was a blast, right? And then what happened was I was, I think, eight or nine years old. And um, I had this disgusting habit of procrastinating and studying last minute for an exam. So I study for a math exam. I end up going to the exam and it was geography. So I knew I was going to fail. I'm like, geez, like I'm going to fail this fourth or fifth grade. And I was like stressed out all summer. And one day my mom wakes me up and she's like, I don't think you can go to school. We need to leave the country. I'm like, what happened? And she's like, a war has broken out. And my first reaction was like, yes, you're never going to find out I failed. But then when I looked around their faces, I'm like, man, there's some chaos happening here. Mm -hmm. So that day I went down the building and what had happened when the war hit in Kuwait is the security had lapsed, right? And um, there was, it was chaos. I mean, Saddam and his army had taken over. And I went down the building with my dad and he saw other concerned faces. And that is what a community is, right? Like somebody has a problem or an aspiration, they put their hands up. Others have also put their hands up and they do something about it. They come together and do something about it. And I saw in that building, just when there's no cell phones, there's no internet, them coordinating like, okay, I'm going to guard the building from this time to this time. And then you come down at this time and people will keep their word. No one's coming mm -hmm. late. No one needs calendar reminders in the world where we need text messages. People are there because they need safety was at stake. And then mm -hmm. somebody's like, hey, I'll organize food supplies. And somebody would organize, you know, other toiletries or whatever that was needed. And every building became a sub-community the word of mouth spread from building to building to building. It became a grassroots movement that coordinated with embassies, 
and countries and evacuated people to safety. They made a movie on this called Airlift, right? Yeah. It was probably one of the largest grassroots evacuation movements. Yeah. I feel like I've seen this movie. This was uh, five or six years ago, right? Was it Akshay Kumar or something, right? Yeah, it was a Bollywood yeah. movie. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was... It was a brilliant movie. I actually didn't know much about Kuwait's story except for that movie. They, cap- you know? they captured it well. They mm. minus the, some of the refugee camps and all. It mm. was it was really deep. But you know, as I was going from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan in that bus, refugee bus on the highway of death, where buses were bombed, and I looked around the faces of the people in the bus: my uncles, my aunts, relatives, friends, parents. They should have been stressed, right? Like the Mm. currency is invalid. They don't know if they're going to live or die. But they were singing, man. They were playing the guitar. They were laughing. They were keeping everyone entertained. And, And I realized it's neither the destination nor the journey. It's the companions that matter the most. You could be on a crappy journey on the way to hell. (laughs) <laughs> but great companions will make it memorable. I mean, you could be having caviar with people who are toxic and just not want to be there. Mm-hmm. And you could be in a slum and having the time of your life. And so that was my experience with, with community is it doesn't have to happen with a bang. Sometimes a hug is just enough, right? Mm-hmm. And then years this, this, later... This is so profound. I feel like you had such a profound and very deep experiences even for a young kid i'm wondering when it came to like business right when you come with this lens into a business where did you started right boast ai was that your first big thing you did that's that's for this that, exa- for this example's sake yeah for this example's sake boast ai was the first thing that did well i've only worked well. at, okay i've only what worked I'm at startups yeah because what i'm wondering is did this ever mirror back at you where somebody like let's say Jason Lem, you mentioned Jason or somebody like that. One of your mentor, early mentors said, Lloyd, you are different. You are different and unique from this lens, from this point of view, because you have that profound appreciation for companionship. You know, nobody has like said it in those words, but those people resonate with me, right? Like mm-hmm. Jason gave us free boots at Saster in the early days. <laughs> he wrote really? The, wow. He wrote the Ford on my book. Recently, he, you know, invited me to join the board of one of his companies. But that relationship started as a community, right? Like I invited Mm -hmm. him to speak at a conference. He came, he was impressed that, man, with short notice, how did I pull together like the CEO of Twilio and Parker Conrad, Zenefit CEO and and Eventbrite uh, and and CEO and Slack CMO and all these greats. And, And I gave Jason Lemkin, I knew he was a great interviewer. I asked him to interview Ryan Smith of Qualtrics, which was acquired for like 8 billion. So he's like, how did you pull this together? What, where is the team? And I'm like, there is no team here. Like it was, it was cold, cold emailing and cold calling and we built a relationship and then I offered I knew I knew he was doing Saster and I had immense respect for him and the content he puts out and I think last minute he was hosting an event side there was a side event like a party for marketers and salespeople Mm -hmm. and the person organizing it had backed out and I said I'll take it on and Mm -hmm. uh, last minute notice there were like I think 800 or 900 people who showed up to that party and I just managed it and I found the right sponsors and everything and so we Mm. struck up a relationship right is like you know one of my hacks in life is to reach out to people that I really respect and want to learn from and offer to do free work for them Mm. and now the thing is this when you offer to do free work for somebody if they're training you then it's not worth their time, right? Like in the sense you're, you have it's, more to gain from the relationship than they yeah, do. It still costs them their time, which is it, valuable. Yeah, right? so I, mean, do I f- think uh, Harmozi was saying this in a reel recently on, on shorts, I think. He was saying like, first of all, I was stunned that you said, said the exact same words that he said, which is just reach out to the person that you admire and offer to work for free. However, like it may be free from a money point of view, but it still costs them some time. So it has to be like frictionless as well for them. Exactly. So that's the thing, right? It has to be frictionless for them. It has to be where you don't, they don't have to train you, right? In the sense that I offered, like, if I make it risk-free for you, what is, what are your odds, right? Like, so I'm like, hey, you're doing a party. I don't need anything. Like, I'll sort it. Just slap your name all in and like run it. 800 people flowed through. It was a great experience and boom, right? Or like offer to help. But you still need to train me. is is not is not help right like i'm gonna run with it i'm gonna do this for you and i'm gonna run with it because i've Mm. researched it and that's Mm. everything the other key learning for me is if you want to build a network 
if you want to meet all the cool people, be the kid who throws the cool parties. Mm. Don't be a guest at somebody's party, but host the party. Be the kid mm. that hosts the cool parties. And then you'll meet all the cool kids. And that is right. that is that is a community builder. So we connected and generally I connect really well with people who are community oriented, people oriented, who think people over profits. I genuinely believe, right? Um, and it sounds cheesy, but this is a reality of the situation is people build companies, not the other way around. And your job is to build, inspire and motivate people. Deliver is the lagging indicator in that equation. If you treat people with love and help them grow, they'll treat your business with love and your business will grow. And so for me, that those two experiences were formative. Then when we had only worked at startups through my journey, they all failed. And then been a part of founding teams of two, they also failed. And those startups were mostly venture backed mm. for the most. And so when we did boast, for it's not like we decided to do venture or bootstrap or whatever. We had no choice. Like, I don't think even if we wanted to raise money, anyone would fund a business like that. It was too niche, hmm. right? And, uh, you know, my co-founder, Alex, um, he is uh, very set in a certain way of thinking, which is, you know, manage your destiny. Do not build somebody else's version of success. Hmm. Uh, like, you know, control your destiny kind of thing. Because... When you invite more and more people, basically you're bringing on more partners. You got to be yeah. sure, right? That those yeah. are the people you want to go on your journey with. And that's, that was a smart thing. So when you bring on more partners, like when you bring on investors, they're more partners, like going into a marriage, right? So you better be sure that you want to go on the journey. And if you're not sure, then the best partners you can have is your, your customers because they'll pay mm -hmm. you, but they'll not like, you know, it won't create other reporting things that'll bring you down. And so, you know, it's a good and a bad thing, right? You can take investors if you're building a company that's investable. Most of the times you're not sure. What's mm. happened though in the last little while is, is the media has perpetuated this addiction to unicorn porn. In reality, the world is run by horses, camels, and donkeys. And what does that mean is capital, like more, like I think uh, it was Dave Packard said, more die of indigestion than starvation, right? Mm. Um, it's like if you ever watch Fast and the Furious, they switch on the nitrous oxide when they want to really hit the last you know, quarter mile, right? Mm. Taking funding to start with is like an addiction. It's like basically why? Why can't you build a company capital efficiently? In 2023, unless it's deep, deep tech and you really need money to go, get off the ground, if you're a first-time founder, my advice is find, figure out an underserved niche, learn everything about them, talk to 50, 100 of them. If you can't talk to 50, 100 of them, you have no business right. going and raising money to build a startup for them. Go talk to 50, 100 of them, figure out a problem they have, offer to solve that problem as a consultant manually. By offering to solve it manually, you'll do three things. One is you'll get good at sales. You'll hone in your messaging because you understand the problem. Two, you'll get good at customer success because now you got to deliver the outcome. You cannot hide behind buttons and widgets. No outcome, no customer. And three, you'll understand the exact workflow to deliver the service. Now that right. you understand the workflow, then you can use no-code, low-code tools to digitize that, right? right? And in that process in parallel, build a community. And that's kind of what we did at Boast is I don't, we were automating research and development tax credits. Globally, there's mm -hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars in tax credits to fund businesses who are doing product development. Mm -hmm. It's a cumbersome application process. It's prone to frustrating audits and getting the money takes a long time. My co-founder, Alex did this for large consulting firms and big four accounting firm. And um, he knew the pain associated with it. And we had been best friends since college. We worked on every project together. So when he asked me to join him, I jumped at the opportunity. When we started cold calling people, nobody would talk to us because imagine you're saying you're two guys out of nowhere <laughs> saying you're going to get me this government money if I give you my product development data. Shady, right? <laughs> Especially right. When, big, when big four accounting firms. So we kept... We, we kept doing the cold call path. And then we realized, you know, let's hone in the ICP some more. We started mm -hmm. going to every tech event. Like 
the, the journey is always this visibility, credibility, and then profitability, right? You be visible, mm. start going to every, every tech event. This was a time where LinkedIn, like as a social network, wasn't that prominent. Mm. Podcasts weren't really a thing. And all the right. conferences and events would talk about like 50,000 foot stuff. So we yeah. started going to events and swarming it, like events like even like Startup Weekend. We, we went and created a startup at Startup Weekend just to get involved, <laughs> in the, to understand the ICP. And we realized, mm. why do people want R&D credits? To fund their business, the R&D. Right. Why do they want to fund the R&D? To accelerate the R&D. Why do they want to accelerate the R&D to drive ultimate impact for the customer? So we... Which we change the mindset from thinking automating R&D credits to like what is the what is the purpose? Why do we exist? And this is this is how great companies and communities are built or should be built is alignment on values. What is the purpose? Is enable innovators to change the world. Mm. Why? Because every dollar spent in innovation returns twenty to the economy. Vaccines, robots, clean drinking water is a function of innovation. Yet in the mm. last fifteen years, more than fifty percent of the Fortune five hundred companies have evaporated, and ninety percent of the innovations die on the vine. So our vision became to enable these people to accelerate innovation so they can change the world. Right. And how do we do it? What is the mission? is to give them the funding, the innovation funding, and the know-how to do it. And then mm. our values became connection, purpose, right? Recognition, those kinds of things, transparency, And who was community. the first sort of ICP that was resonating with, with this when you made the shift? It was the, when we shift, it was just all tech founders. It was people like us. It was, we were the ICP. And so mm. we were the ICP, so we knew exactly what to do. So we, because we started going to events, we then, knew then what How did you overcome the trust challenge? Like you said, like there's a trust deficit in the beginning, right? There's a massive trust deficit. And the way we overcame it, by first we started going and researching and talking and going to events. And we realized, hey, the white space here is, there's a lot of events, but nobody's talking tactical stuff. Nobody's saying mm. like, oh, this is how I got my first 10 customers. This is not 2023. Yeah. This is 2012 now. Nobody's yeah, talking yeah, how yeah. I got my first 12 customers. Right. Nobody talks about how I raised this round of funding. Nobody's doing these things. So we and said, everything was like super high, high level high, back like then. High level. Yeah. 50,000 foot. Yeah. So we said, you know what, rather than cold calling and cold emailing people and saying, Hey, buy my stuff. Why don't we start hosting events? The one thing as a function of being in and around startups, especially me being in San Francisco, is we had access to a lot of founders, right? And we said, yeah. we'll bring successful founders and we'll host meetups. And we'll say, so was hey. was that the genesis for traction? That was the genesis for traction. So that was the genesis of community-led growth and how we leverage the community to bootstrap the company to 10 million, right? So I'll, I'll talk about this in, in terms of frameworks, right? So I said, like, yeah. figure out an underserved niche. Mm -hmm. Identify their pains, figure out where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep, figure out their aspirations and goals so you can help them become better versions of themselves. Like literally the, your job is fall in love with your customer and make them successful beyond your product or service. Yes. Now, oh my once God, you you're singing, this is a song, man. This, this is literally <laughs> how my brain thinks. Like I have a slide in the, the Billing Public Fellowship, you know, kickoff. I say like there is a little Mario and there's a big Mario. And then I say like, you, my goal is to see a better you at the end of the cohort. And that resonates so much with them. I've learned through sales and hundreds of hundreds of conversations with customers, the easiest thing to sell somebody on is a better version of themselves because everybody wants a better themselves, right? The everybody. only thing is that they have to trust you that you can get them there. Now that is a factor of credibility, which is what you talked about towards the end. And so I'm like, oh, this is like, I wish we both met like 10 years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the thing, right? Like you got to be visible. You got to be credible. Now I'll, I'll give you the framework of how to build that credibility. Yeah. So in, in frames of both. So now once you have the ICP on an Excel sheet, you can write down three things, three columns. This is my ICP first, right? But then the remaining three columns, like what services and tools do they pay for? This will give you a potential list of partners. Yeah. Oh, who are the influencers? Who do they follow? This will mm -hmm. give you a list of people that if you're doing events, you can invite as speakers mm -hmm. or as collaborators. And then the last one is what do they frequent? Where do they hang out? Right. And so this will give you like blogs, magazines, social platforms that they're prevalent. So you have the ICP. Now you figure out who do they fund, who do they frequent, who do they follow? And think about it this way. Using this framework, if you hosted an event, say you went to an event and I open the door for you and there's garbage all over or like you have to jump through hoops. You don't see the host. You meet random people, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. They're like, what the hell? I'm going to leave. But say now you come to an event and the host opens the door, welcomes you, pours you a glass of wine, introduces you to somebody and you're like, holy smokes, this is, this is 
the CEO of Notion, for example. Mm. And this is like these three marketers that I know. And I meet some friends. You go in and you like see all these vendors like HubSpot and everyone. They're like, stuff, I buy things from these guys. Yeah. And then, and then you go in and you see like Jason Lemkin's given a talk and you're like, dude, I feel like I'm right amongst my tribe. Yeah. So the thing is, if you don't understand your ICP, you cannot curate an experience that's tailored for them. So yes. it, start, it starts with your ICP, number one, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's what we did. We could curate now. And now, then they felt it's their tribe. So now when we yeah. send emails, we're not saying buy my stuff. We're saying, hey, we'd like to invite you to an event we're hosting on this topic, like how to go from X to Y with speaker who has already gone from X to Y, who you recognize because influencer in your space. And we have only 10 spots. Do you want to come? Every time we did a meetup like that, more and more people would show up. One day, 200 people showed up at a co-working space. We had the CEO of Plug and Play and a couple other speakers. And the co-working space GM is like, dude, you can't run full-blown conferences here. Like 200 people, come on, <laughs> right? And and it was funny. And that turned into, eventually evolved into the Traction Conference. But what's interesting is you know, there's, there's a few things that stem from that, right? So now you figure out your underserved niche, you figure out what tools and services they pay for, who are the influencers they follow, and what other places do they frequent. Now you have this list, then you got to figure out the type of community you want to build. There's three types mm. of communities you can build. Okay. The community of practice is a community all about learning together, right? Nice. This is not about your product. This is like, you know, I was an engineer, I finished engineering and I went right into cold calling and I wanted to go into sales and marketing and product. I asked some entrepreneur, like, what's the best skill I could have if I want to be an entrepreneur? It's like sales. Sales, of course. Yeah. And so I asked, I reached out to everyone and applied for jobs in sales. Nobody would offer me a sales job. Nobody wants like an engineer. People don't want an entry level sales guy to begin with and let alone like <laughs> someone with an engineer degree. So they just assumed I'm socially awkward probably and did give me. So I begged somebody to give me a job in cold calling and my parents lost it from India, right? Like son finished a bachelor's in software engineering <laughs> and he's doing cold calling. Look at this one, son. He's at Microsoft and getting this kind of package, doing 30,000. Fast forward today, I'm everything I am because of one of that skills, right? Like it's like learning because you, yeah. you pivot on the fly, you polish your yeah. messaging, you build relationships, right? And, to me, and there's really only two meta skills, right? Like one is being able to build something like some kind of product knowledge, you know, some kind of like all the sort of building skills, which is either coding or, you know, product or whatever. And then there's sales, which is recruiting, investing, like all of that stuff. Is, you know, convincing It's all customers. sales, right? Like yeah, it's recruiting, all recruiting, yeah. talking to customers, figuring yeah. out what Pitching, to build. Calling everything. Yeah. Like I cold emailed you, right? Yeah, I, I like, feel like and, even media is sales in a way, right? Except the everything. timeline is so vast. I think the only difference with sales is like there is a decision CTA at the end of a, every piece of email or whatever. You're, you're, asking you're, them you're, you're moving things forward, basically. Yes. With marketing, you're just doing it. Like you're putting deposits and you're just kind of waiting for a 10-year period where you build a brand and then it like comes back at you. You don't even make, need to make ask. Right. The thing with, you know, Gary Vee and Harmozy, that, that's what they're doing. But um, I think what you want to do is bridge, like basically stitch those two together. Yes, where of, like, of course, you need to get both. Otherwise, you, you need just, to keep keep leveling yeah. up and, and moving forward. So one of the interesting things, so there's three kinds of communities. So I graduated. Practice, right. Community practice. Yeah. So when I graduated and I and I joined in sales and then the next job was I ended up in a startup that they hired me as a sales engineer. But when I joined there, they're like, Really, it ended up being a product job, but really it ended up also doing marketing because I needed to launch their website and do all the messaging, figure out what to build. So I became a hodgepodge of things because it's a small startup, mm. right? And it became a hodgepodge of things. And I'm like, oh, I got to learn now. Now, this is 2005. There is nothing about digital marketing anywhere. Not really a thing. All brand marketing and offline. And all the content I found about digital marketing was from HubSpot. So I joined the yes. inbound marketing com- community. Mm. They didn't really have much of a software. So... Now I became part of the HubSpot inbound marketing community, went to their events, their local meetups, did all their inbound marketing certification. It was great help. And over the years, the HubSpot content and community kept me that when eventually we had some money, it was natural like, hey, buy HubSpot, right? For your marketing automation. But so community of practice is learning together, right? People are coming to learn about a specific skill to become better at that skill. The next mm-hmm. one is community of product. People are coming to learn about your product, to use it Basically turning your customers into evangelists. That's a yeah, community. It's like a notion meetup, for example, yeah. in today's world. 
Exactly. And the last one is community of play, like your football club, your soccer mm -hmm. club, your cricket club, you know, paddle, whatever it is. So community <laughs> of practice, community of product, community of play. Now, here's the thing. If you don't have product market fit, you should not build a community of product mm -hmm. because you will, you don't have product market fit. Why are you building a community of product? Yeah. Right. And you're just starting out. You barely have any audience. If you don't have a significant audience, you don't have product market fit, focus on building a community of practice because it makes your TAM bigger, right? Because yeah. even though people may or may not use, like Gainsight did, right? What Gainsight is doing, was doing was they created a category around customer success, which is really proactive customer service. Customer service was broken. So they needed to educate the market on what customer success was. Mm -hmm. When they started, there may be like 50, 60 people with the title customer success and they really expanded the TAM by educating like, people yeah. on how to serve customers better, customer success. So mm -hmm. now once you have that ICP, you know the kind of community you want to build and you've talked to so many people. So you write down like a hundred burning questions your niche has and, and maybe think about like, hey, if I had to write the ultimate guide to XYZ, what would be the chapters, sub chapters and topics? Now you can start creating content, right? To start building an audience. So like one interview let's say you start a Zoom session, like an interview session, like one interview right. you do, the long form can go to YouTube, the short form can go to shorts, the highlights can go to text highlights, can go to LinkedIn posts, the audio can mm -hmm. go to podcast. Then you can turn a series of eBooks into like a certification, like a, like a course. So all of this you can do. The key thing here is consistency, right? Consistency, like Jason Lemkin said on that, on that book cover is the secret ingredient that leads to big outcomes, right? So why do you think more, a lot of people struggle with consistency? Start. What is that? Sorry. Struggle with consistency. Why do you, yeah. Why do you think a lot of people struggle with consistency? When you look for instant gratification, mm -hmm. And especially when you're not seeing results anywhere, it's very easy to stop, right? And the thing is, you can't make 100 bets, especially as a bootstrap company. You can only make two bets maybe. And you need those both those bets to play out. And so for us, we said, we're not getting anywhere with sales. So we'll invest in the community. We'll build our own community. And we'll go out there in the community, go to events and whatnot. So our sales team, you know, after probably first year of me selling, then we expanded, hired salespeople, they also followed that same pattern, went and networked and shook hands and kissed babies and build relationships in the community. We hosted our own events. And so that one-two punch of community creating the goodwill and warming up the brand. So then when the salespeople reaches out, it's a, it's a warmer conversation. Mm -hmm. Consistency, I'll tell you, man, like think about it, like 10 meetups to thousands of people at the conference and, you know, with brand names like the president of Atlassian, CEO of Twilio. Then the pandemic came and we had to cancel a conference. We moved everything to online. And rather than doing a two-day virtual summit, which everyone was doing, we said we'll do weekly live AMAs, live webinars. Nice. So like this, but we invite the audience to come so that tune in, that listen, that ask questions. Right. And that turned into two webinars a week. And our audience went from like 30,000 subscribers at the start of the pandemic to like... In two years, probably around 120,000, which is where it's at, or a little more. Wow. So that, that tells you consistency is the secret ingredient mm. that leads to all big outcomes, right? We never stop, man. Like when we switched immediately to webinars, I freaked out. But then like 50 people showed up. Then like it started repeatedly, few hundred, few hundred, few hundred. And that's when you know that, okay, you know, it's something is going. A lot of people do one and then they stop. Yeah, it's you, when you want to get better at something, you just do volume, do volume, yeah. do volume. So and over over time, the audience will give you feedback. You'll refine it and it'll get better, better, better. Yeah. And then it'll I start going. That was my big learning as well, is that I thought initially, like maybe 10 years ago, I thought I had to be inherently good at something. And so in one rep, I had to get it. And over time, I realized that it doesn't matter. Nobody remembers the early reps. Actually, I personally don't know how your traction, you know, like first meetups went, right? And that doesn't matter. Today in your story, it's a footnote, like the first meetup that you had, right? So, but if you keep doing it over and over and over again, after like 800 or 1,000 
versions of something, now you're natural, right? That's the irony of how people, external validation works too, because they call you a genius at the end. And in the first meeting, nobody shows up. So (laughs) consistency is the magic ingredient that turns small actions into big achievements. You know, Mm -hmm. Jason Lemkin, he wrote the forward on my book, which is releasing in the next little while. Uh, We're doing the pre-sale on August 16th, and then it'll go release on September 17th. But he wrote the forward on the book. He's been a great mentor. And that is the thing. When Jason Lemkin started Saster, he was writing Quora posts, like two, three posts a day. Every day he wrote for two years without fail, rain or shine. He wrote it, right? And the buzz went around. And when he did a a Saster meetup, hundreds of people showed up and that turned into thousands and now tens of thousands, right? And Mm -hmm. digitally engaged hundreds of thousands. And that is the thing, right? Like, Go back to like Alex or Mosey or any one of these people. They are just Gary Vaynerchuk. Very. Mm. I remember Gary Vaynerchuk from 2005 when I used to listen to HubSpot's inbound marketing. I'm like, (laughs) who is this guy HubSpot put in their inbound marketing certification program? And he was talking about creating YouTube videos when YouTube wasn't even like a thing for business. And he was saying like, you got to create content on YouTube. And he was like a little chubby. And he was, he was, he had the wine TV, right? Going. Wine library TV. Wine Laboratory yeah. TV, this is 2005. So that's what I'm saying. These people have one thing and one thing only is consistent, right? Yeah. Learn your audience, post every day in the channels they hang out. So learn your audience, figure their pains, figure out where they hang out, post every day, every day. Now you got to distribute it. So send it to a few friends to see it, comment on it. And over time, it'll it'll start spreading. You know, yeah. here's the path, common path for all iconic successes. Mm-hmm. From Christ to CrossFit, from Christianity to CrossFit is a very similar common path. Audience, community, movement, religion. Hmm. People buy your products, they listen to you, you have an audience. You bring that audience together to interact with one another, it becomes a community. Hmm. Now, the community comes together to create impact, it becomes a movement. Nice. So you, you see even someone like Mr. Beast, he's an influencer, he's an iconic brand. But when he does things like, let's come together to raise 20 million to plant 20 million trees, or let's raise 30 million to pull out 30 million pounds of plastics from the sea, what does that turn into? It turns your community into a movement. Mm. And then how it goes from movement to religion or cult is when that movement has undying faith in its purpose, it's a religion. Mm. Look at every religion. It starts as an audience. Look Mm. at every iconic brand. It starts as an audience. It transitions to community, then transitions to movement. And then it's like, if you argue with those people, eventually they'll cut you. And there are certain frameworks (laughs) that they use. It reminds me of Apple, right? Apple goes with, Apple is a great classic example of- Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah, wow. Bitcoin too, right? Um, CrossFit. Try arguing with a CrossFitter that, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll cut you, right? And what I'm saying is there are certain things that happen. And that's the thing. I studied a lot of these communities, these iconic brands. And, and that's why the book is 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth, which is all certain centered around the principles of people, right? Brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves. Brands of the future will be built on what the community says about them. This is even Mm. more important today with the rise of the micro-influencers. There are these five trends that are happening, right? Third-party data is going away. Mm. So Google is going to stop this cooking business. So you got to own your audience, no? Generative AI has created a sea of sameness, you got to really stand out when like people can copy paste from generative AI, right? Like right. from chat GPT. More and more people are listening to individuals than brands. Look at brand engagement on socials versus individual engagement. Rise of right. the micro influencer. Mm-hmm. Short form content has more engagement than long form content. So more and more micro influencers, it's easier to create short form content, more and more short form content, right? So shorts, mm-hmm. reels, short posts, those are proliferating. That's enabling more and more people to become micro-influencers get lots and lots of followers. And the commonality here is if you're just an influencer, you have an audience. If you die, that audience is gone. But if you bring that people together, you go from being an influencer to an actual brand. So what Mm -hmm. I'm saying is people are turning into brands and brands need to leverage this trend and harness its people and create micro-influencers Otherwise, if you don't do that, you're going to have to pay for it elsewhere. Right. You're going to have to pay others. Right. And, and, and so that journey of you got to think for yourself is like, 
How do you go from now having an audience to bringing them together to create a community to then now supporting a greater purpose so the community creates a movement, right? And then through rituals and beliefs, eventually become a cult brand. So a lot of uh, that is what I talk about in the book now from asking the same questions to hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of people and finding patterns in that answer. And that's the thing. You don't want to ask different questions because when you ask different questions, then you can't uh, conclude a pattern, right? And, and so that's that's we, how we distilled the thirteen rules. And it was a it was a labor of love because my whole DNA has been community, right? Like like I talked about the slums of India, I talked about the Gulf War, I talked about bootstrapping, boast to ten million ARR, and then when we sold majority in the company, our investors, the growth equity firm that came, they also came to a community event. And that's how they met us. And they're like, who runs this? And then we talked and they're like, you know, we're like, listen, we don't want investment. They're like, oh, we're not traditional investors. Like, what does your company do? We explained, they loved it. And the rest is history. And then when I left the day-to-day of the business to make new room for new leadership, I ended up very depressed and overweight. And I'm like, you know, my identity was this company and I gave the baby away. And one day my wife's like, listen, if something happens to you, your family is going to be left holding the bag. You're in a good position to do anything. Why are you moping here? The glass is always <laughs> half full. And I dusted the Peloton bike, which we had like turned into a makeshift clothing rack for the last two years. I hopped on <laughs> Peloton and the instructor, I felt instantly connected to her because she was coming off maternity leave and couldn't ride. She was feeling weak. And then she yells out like, self-pity is toxic. It's one crank, <laughs> one shift, one rider on the block. I am, I can with Eye of the Tiger from Rocky playing. And that one <laughs> ride went in seconds, right? And it turned to two into four, turned into a streak. And next thing you know, I added working out, I added weights and other rituals like wake up, be thankful for the good that's in your life, bang out 50 push-ups, ride the peloton. And it changed my life. And so when I look at my journey, like, you know, from that war refugee to bootstrapping to battling depression. There's a very constant theme there is community has been part of that DNA. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give homage when, when I moved to Dubai, the community is why I have the freedom. And so when I have this free time and I'm doing nothing, I said, the best thing I can do is to tell the story of community to the world and distill it to the world and why it will help you drive business. Because if you look at it, marketing in 2023 is taking a bloodbath. Like I said, right. CPMs are up. It costs twice as much to generate the same results from the same marketing channels. Generative AI has created a sea of sameness. People are tired of ads, pop-ups, and everything else. But if you look at the history of the world, right? Harley-Davidson is a great example of a company that almost went bankrupt in the 80s when Japanese manufacturers had commoditized parts, right? When like Japanese bikes were making its way. Mm. They rebuilt the company on the ethos of community, Community wasn't a marketing strategy. And this is where most companies fail because they can't be consistent because community and audience building is always a marketing strategy. It has to be a company strategy. It was a company strategy for Harley Davidson. Employees became writers. They went and started writing clubs. Writers became employees, oversight from the president. They started a Save Harley campaign, Save the freaking Company. Today, it's worth $7 billion, but more important than that, the weekend warrior concept became a ritual. The camaraderie and the brotherhood of writing. They started creating campaigns to save people from cancer and autism and all kinds of things, right? That's how they turned it into a movement. Today, it's, it's a cult brand. How do yeah. you do that without the power of people? You cannot engineer that with just your employees. You'll build a great right. business. I'm, don't get me wrong. You don't need to become an iconic brand or community to build a great business, you will. But the power of community will propel you that much forward where it becomes your growth lever and your sustainable moat, right? Like, think about this. Right. Yesterday's innovation is always today's option and tomorrow's commodity. GPS, you couldn't get your hands on it. Then it became an option in the car. Now there's CarPlay. Mm. If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Apple probably has worse features than its competitors, but always sells the aspiration to the community. It doesn't talk about right. my feature, right? See my feature, right. see my pixels, right? And so that's, right. that's, how, that's how you become a cult brand is like you fall in love with the customer and follow the journey of their problem versus right. falling in love with your solution because people connect with their problems, with their aspirations. Right. They don't connect with your features. They may, 
in the moment, but long term, right. they care about themselves. That's the world. Yeah. And by yeah. connecting with them, with by connecting your brand's purpose with their goals, you can build something big. Because in, in today's world, if you think about it, even with all these layoffs happening, people have infinite opportunity now, right? Lots of people are becoming solopreneurs, doing consulting, putting gigs on Fiverr, putting gigs on Upwork, Uber, DoorDash. You can make your living. And when you work as a contractor, you save on taxes. So it probably ends up becoming the same thing without having a boss over your head. Now for you to get up and go and work for somebody else, if that company doesn't have a greater sense of purpose, why would you do it? Right. right. And that's why your yeah. purpose is, is really important in, in rallying the people. You can build yeah. a community around your product. But if you have a greater purpose and that can bring your community to create impact, you'll have a movement. Yeah. So Lloyd, I got one, maybe like, Two more questions. How are you doing on time? Doing great on time. Okay, so one, like actually going all the way back, I know it's a little sort of out of sequence here, but one thing that you said at, almost at the very beginning that really touched, struck a chord was, you know, uh, bringing partners, bringing some of your ICPs into a meetup, and then, you know, also like one or two really relevant speakers. So if you were to kind of share, because um, the thing that struck my you know, made me think about this is an easy pitch for partners to come join a meetup that you're hosting. But how would you what was your cold pitch for the influential speaker? Right? Let's say the CEO of Twilio or whoever, before you had social proof, like what was the first cold pitch like to them? And they were talking about the world where you had trust deficit. You know, ultimately, it's a numbers game. It's selling. So I'll tell you the story, not of the meetups, because the meetups were small enough. And you always you always find somebody who's, this is the way I look at it. Say your ICP is at level five, right? Yeah. They will resonate with someone who's level seven, okay? Mm -hmm. You don't need to bring somebody at level 10, no? And then you just level up from there. Now, you, it's easier for you to access, if you're at level five, it's easier to, for you to access a level seven or your level four, level seven, right. not a level 10. So you bring this level seven, then you leverage their brand rub to get to an eight, nine, a 10, right? That's mm -hmm. how you work yourself up. So through the meetups, we did a lot of that. And in the first conference we did, it's it's so funny. Traction is a community on its own, separate from Boast, in the sense it was co-founded with me and Alex from Boast. And uh, Ray Walia, who runs Launch Academy, is a nonprofit incubator, because we didn't have the resources we needed somebody to help with the logistics right. and, and everything else. And you want great partners to work with. Ultimately, it belongs to the, if you're building a community, it belongs to the community. You can't just hog it, right? So you need mm. a few different hands. And we didn't really have a budget. So I was asked, like, I'm like, hey, you want to do a, I'm like, we have to do a conference, right? The community is growing, but no real budget. We knew we want to do a conference on the tactical learnings like those meetups, right? Right. And uh, no, con no budget, nothing. So I'm like, who are the speakers that would resonate? And this was, I think, 2015. And I knew that you know, all the content that would be relevant would be around how to get, keep, and grow customers, like growth right. tactics, product tactics. So build a list of 400 or so speakers and start wow. cold emailing them. And what's the summary of the pitch? Like, what's the gist of that pitch? You know, you you know I, I think I, I wrote it down. I did a blog post for HubSpot that... Uh, you should reference because okay. I did it a while, a yeah, while ago. To, yeah, I would love to plug that in the show notes. Yeah, I had written two other blog posts for HubSpot. One is how I script everyone's emails. I used Mechanical Turk. Now you right. can use Apollo.io or yeah, yeah, Hunter.ai. Yeah. But I, this is when I had no money. But put a script <laughs> on Mechanical Turk and people were scraping it for like five cents, 10 cents. Right. Then I wrote like how I did the first outreach. And then so here, I dropped it. Basically, my three follow-up email templates that get a 70% response rate from Silicon Valley execs. The nutshell is like, I'd say, hey, how's it going? And invite them to speak to an event. And I'd even write down who all I've invited, like three of the four of the highlights. Then I'd follow up. If anyone's interested, I'd be like, these people are interested. Now, what happens is like, um, a lot of people will tell you they're interested. Then you follow up that these people are interested, right? People, what do speakers want? They want a big audience, yeah. So it's like 500 to 1,000 people will show up, we'll record everything, we'll put the content on YouTube. These other speakers are interested. Once one speaker confirms, and for us it was by luck, because I would just say, every time I'd email, be like, these other people are interested. Now, sometimes it's probably luck in the sense for people to glance and be like, oh, these people are confirmed and say yes. So the CEO of Marketo at the time was a big name. 
He confirmed. When he confirmed, reached out to the others, be like, Phil from Marketo is confirmed, then Hootsuite confirmed. I know, it's, it's Twilio it's confirmed. It's kind of like a domino effect. You need one domino to fall. Yeah, so we got like 30 people, like folks from Dropbox, from Quora. Mm. It's 2015, hot tactical event. Then we're like, hey, now we want to get a venue. Now my co-founders are like, how are we going to get a venue on such short notice? So we end up finding a giant EDM hall. And uh, <laughs> because my, my Ray... His family used to organize Bollywood concerts. He had a lot of connections, found an EDM hall. <laughs> and there he plugged, uh, you know, <laughs> there was a stripper pole we needed to hide. The stage was like, it was like literally, like, you know, those nasty ass backstage of the broken toilets. <laughs> All we could afford. The the giant screen, no AV. It was like this giant screen, the pixelated ones. Have you seen that in like yeah, big yeah. concerts with a disco yeah. ball? It had only 300 seats. So like five, 600 people showed up, standing room. Like there was back, like, you know, there's a seating area and then there's the lounge area, right? You know, where they section off for boots when you get bottle service. Yeah. They jam people sitting in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot and then we were like okay you know what I built a site on Squarespace and put the Eventbrite widget and launched ticket sales and we sold $50,000 in tickets to the community wow. and then we we're like you know okay now let's pay deposits on everything mm. honestly this is what I'm saying in 2023 it's still that same Squarespace website no changes tractionconf.io <laughs> Okay. We still have a popular podcast. We still have like each session on YouTube gets thousands of views. Conference always sold out. Right. And so that was the experience uh, around convincing them is like consistency, persistence, sprinkled with social proof. Like you can't send like law. See, you got to be self-aware too. You can't send like these long ass emails and like, you know, frustrate people. Short emails, you know, people are not going to scroll on their cell phone. Right. Boom. Right. Get their attention. I am driving at a hundred miles an hour on the highway. What's the billboard that's going to make me stop? Right. Right. It's like dating. You don't go to a bar and ask somebody to marry you. What do you optimize for? <laughs> right. The convert... The, the first step, yeah, the next step, the next step, and yeah. The, yeah, so the conversation, you optimize a conversation for the phone number. The phone number you optimize for like they'll text back and the next date and then then eventually. So it's like mm -hmm. that. The subject line needs to be compelling enough that they'll open, they'll read the email, should have a compelling offer that they'll click. Mm -hmm. And then that's how you build the build the relationship, right? right. And, then, and then if the emails are like that, like short, compelling, what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. Then with consistency and volume and social proof sprinkled in, you'll get results. Yeah. I think the thing that stood out for me in that example was like 400. You are ready to go volume there, right? 400 is a pretty... A lot of people would do three or four emails and be like, yeah, maybe like maybe nobody yeah, wants to come. Three or four emails is, is not a thing, right? Like... Um, <laughs> three or four uh, contacts, right? Like you just... You got to go with the volume, you know, and that's, you, that's, it's, a, it's a numbers game. So yeah. um, this is an important lesson. When I was doing Speakeasy, Hiten Shah, who's the founder of Kissmetrics, very popular yeah. angel investor, he was an advisor and he comes by the office one day and he's like, show me your marketing plan. And I'm like, I showed him this marketing plan with all these channels like SEO, content, like 10 different things. And he sinks in his chairs, go blues in the, goes blue in the face and he's like, fucking burn those slides down. You're going to fail. And I'm like, what the hell? So embarrassing. He yells at me in front of like 10 people on the team. The whole freaking team is there. And I'm like, why? He's like, what's the one channel that's working? I'm like, cold emailing. But it's not really working. So I'm trying other things. He's like, how many cold emails you're sending a day? I'm like, 20, 30. He's like, jam more data. Get to a critical mass. Like, you can't mm -hmm. say like, I'm sending 20, 30 and call it a day. How big is your TAM for your ICP? I'm like, it's infinite. Then he's like, how can you say the channel is not working? Mm -hmm. Jam more data. And so right. that's, a, that's a key learning, right? Like, he's like, send more, be compelling, sprinkle social proof, what's in it for them, keep it short. And a few people will confirm. Yeah. You see, if your audience is a level one or two, and you're a level three or four, curate maybe a level five or six. And then level up from there, right? Brand rub. All you want is brand rub. The brand rub of the person who's a little more influential than you. Mm. You get their superpowers, then cure the next one, the next one. That's how you keep leveling up, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what we did from the meetups to the conference, then the conference to the podcast and YouTube. And that's the way to go.
Right. But, you know, one key piece of learning there, although I said you can transform one piece of online content to so many different pieces of content in 2023, you got to realize there's lots of content out there. So make sure what you're putting out is truly differentiated and great. Mm. Um, and then the second thing is, I think the value of bringing people together in person is indispensable. So curate good in-person experiences. You don't have to do a multi-thousand person conference that you spend six months waiting to host. Right. You can do a meetup, literally 10 person. Think about it. What is the value of hosting one dinner with 15, 20 people every week mm. for 52 weeks? Especially right. if you're in B2B and you have like $20,000 a year ACVs. Mm. Meet weekly, standing dinner, a little larger meetup, maybe once a month. When you bring, when you, anytime you incorporate more than two senses, we're sound and sight. Imagine we were in person, we'd be taste, touch, smell. You start to build stronger connections. You stick out longer. You understand each other on a personal level. You're and inspiring me are, to try out a building public meetup in Atlanta. Yeah, you should. You, know? you, you totally should. I've been thinking about it, but I haven't, I just do haven't done it. it, you know? Yeah. Do it. I do like the standing, like the, the just the 10% smaller intimate starting point and then kind of you know maybe do a big meetup in in a month or yeah, something so do the small bring people together for dinners kind of thing casually whoever comes comes now i'm in dubai right we're not doing the big traction conference this right. this week we're releasing the book instead of the conference next year we'll do the conference now i'm in dubai raised in vancouver we do small 10 15 person dinners like every month mm. Right. And that's that's the way to do keep it alive. You know, we're sending the newsletter every week. We're releasing the podcast every other week. We're launching, uh, we're, we're releasing on YouTube. So keep the audience engaged, but offer differentiated content. And if you can't offer differentiated content, which is very, very, very hard to do right now, right? Like that's why mm -hmm. I put out the book on community-led growth. It's something that nobody has condensed into one Bible, right? Right. I can do a, like, it's a sea of sameness. Let me bring some differentiation. But mm. if you can't offer differentiated content, curate a differentiated in-person experience. People don't want to sit and watch like a three hour, you know, three hours of content on stage, they, but they'll come together to meet friends. Yeah, who make are connections. This, make connections, yeah. but who are, as long as they're meeting highly curated people who are their tribe, basically, you yeah. know, they like fun, frequent follow. Yeah. Like in the All same right, so last sphere. question. What is exciting, you know, for you right now? What's the next chapter? What are you, you know, looking forward to in this year? Man, the thing I'm most excited about is this I think book, it's the book launch. Is the book launch. And I can't think of anything else because it's exciting in the sense that it's been the labor of love, the labor of Lobo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I put a lot of effort, heart and soul. It's designed well. We've designed the inner pages. We've put put a lot of thought into it. It's homage to the community that there's a different way to build a business that is beyond the profits, that's people-centric, and uh, that's long-term and sustainable. So it has can't be one or the other. You can build a people-centric business that's sustainable, long-term, and profitable, right? It's not one or the other. So that mm -hmm. is that is the message. And you know, brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves. Brands of the future will be built on what the community says about them. With the rise of micro-influencers and short-form content, you cannot get away from this. You just cannot. Just don't be left behind is, is the thing. And so this is the most exciting thing. And then, you know, hanging out with my kids. I've got three kids. I have all, all the oh, free wow, time nice. in the world. All yeah. the free time in the world to spend with them, socialize. I don't know. I don't I don't have the next startup idea. But I, I feel like because I didn't have the next startup idea, that's why I worked on the book. <laughs> Let's see where it goes. I'm sure it was. It felt like a little startup, right? You know, with the whole process and everything. Definitely um, launching a website, yeah. working with uh, contractors. Like basically, it's zero to one again, and that's my passion. Yeah. I'm a zero to one person. I love taking. Th I'm a pirate. I love taking things from zero to one. When it is more expanded uh, and it's time to scale, it's not my jam anymore. Yeah. Well, that, that self awareness is key. You know, so you know which games you want to play in the future, right? Again. Exactly. So, Anyway, if I had to do if I had to do something again, it would be in health or wealth, <laughs> mm. because this, yeah. those are things that are that are everlasting. Basically, fix financial literacy or fix not healthcare but wellness. Like through my mm. journey, I've come to realize that 
we're proactive with everything except our health and our wealth. How do I make you proactive so you can live longer and happier? So the goal is not to live longer and be dysfunctional. The goal is to have functional longevity. <laughs> right. So that those, those are interesting problems to solve. Yeah. Thank you so well, much for hosting jam me. on that on a, on a future session again. But yo, thanks for being here. And thanks for, you know, sharing your insights and notes from the book. Looking forward to the launch. I know you, you DM me the link too. So I'm going to, you know, get yeah, myself definitely. a little pre-sale thing. The book is going to be on from grassroots to greatness.com. If you want already tax credits for your business or government funding for a business, check out boast.ai. Our community is tractionconf.io. And lastly, you know, if, if you want to engage with me on social, I'm active on LinkedIn. It's Lloyd Lobo, Lloyd with an E, double L-O-Y-E-D. So funny thing is, I got bullied a lot as a kid because my name is spelled differently, Lloyd with an E. Everyone's like, Lloyd, Lloyd, what is your name? And I always ask my mom, like, why do you spell my name like this, right? And she's like, I always aspired for you to be an entrepreneur. She'd tell me as a kid, you'll be a businessman one day. There's a word Indian parents don't use entrepreneur. You're going to be a businessman one day and you will never be able to trademark your name, which is spelled without an E. So I threw <laughs> it in there. So it's called, that's called vision. That's also called like law of attraction. <laughs> She's manifesting this for you, you know? So Definitely. shout out to your mom. Thanks for being here and I'll see you in a future session again, okay? Thanks. See you, man. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye.